This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, when I say to you love stories and great love stories, what comes to your mind? Uh, chances are um, Romeo and Juliet. Am I right? You thought Romeo and Juliet? And I think most Americans would go to that as a great love story. Uh, yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Do you know what that's really about? You have like two 14-year-old kids who get infatuated with one another and then go crazy about it and kill themselves. So uh, probably not a fantastic love story. Uh, of course, my mind always goes to um, Han and Leia, you know, the best love story of all time, uh, where she's, she's looking at him and she says, I love you. And remember what he said? He said, I know. Awesome love story in five words. I mean, that's just perfect right there. Uh, but you think about love stories, and here's, here's what I wanted to show you today. This is an incredible love story, an incredible love story. Though it's not a typical love story, it's not a fairy tale love story that we would write. This is a love story that God has written, and it's, it's amazing. And I believe it's going to have a huge impact, but... There's some stuff to get through because there's some chapters in this fairy tale and this love story that are tough. And we're going to do the work and we're going to get down into that. And I love, I love this story. Now, um, why are we here in Hosea? So you're probably asking that question. We just were in Acts and now all of a sudden we're jumping to Hosea. Like, what's going on? Well, okay, full disclosure, I've been asked to preach this text at Blackhawk Christian Academy coming up. And so uh, the entire book in one week. So I got four messages in Hosea. And uh, then I'm also preparing some preaching here. So I'm thinking about in the course of three weeks preparing seven sermons. That was a lot. I was still going to march forward with that until I began to really dive into this book and to see what this book had to say and to really feel like, you know what, this could be very impactful for people. In fact, it may be the very thing that we need. Because let me get honest with me here. When I talk about Hosea, our, our, our story with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ, being like a love story, doesn't that kind of sit a little funny with you? Like, really, my story is a love story? That kind of seems a little odd. But, but it's just that different angle. It's just that, that new canvas, the new colors, the new picture that our church just might need to really invigorate your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I'm, I'm convinced of this. We don't see it right. And as you live your life, are you really accurately seeing how you and Jesus should be relating to one another? Do we see God in the right light? And I'm convinced we don't. As I'm studying this book, man, I have been shocked. And God has taken this picture deeper and has really impacted me in the short few times that I've been studying this. So I'm excited to bring you guys through this. The older I get, the more I realize how little I understand and how very little I actually live day to day in the incredible love that God has for me. And I'm hoping that this will do it for us today because God really, really wants you to know how much he loves you. And he really, really wants you to live it. Let me prove that to you by diving in to the book of Hosea. I want to talk first of all uh, the means of communications. Here's my here's my take. God wants you to God wants to communicate with you. He wants you to know some things. 
And it's amazing when you consider how he communicated this message to us, the means of communication. Now, here at Redemption, we hold to what we call a grammatical, historical, literal, redemptive interpretation of Scripture, okay? This is how we study the Bible. So when I'm sitting at my desk this week, and I'm looking over the book of Hosea, and I'm beginning to study this, we've got these things in mind, grammatical, historical, literal, redemptive. What what does that mean? Well, grammatical means that these uh, books in the Bible were written in a language with a grammar, and we've got to be sure that we understand that language language, understand that grammar, understand what's going on. And and God was so wise uh, to write uh, the Bible in the languages he chose, especially when you get into the Greek, the grammar is so rich and so deep, it paints beautiful pictures of scripture. So grammar is important. Historical. Okay, well, Hosea was a guy who wrote a book to a people. There is a specific place and time where these things happen. Now, for Hosea, this happened about 700 BC, and he's focusing mostly on the northern kingdom. At this point, the kingdoms are broken into two. He's focusing mostly on that northern kingdom, but it happened at a time and a place, which brings me to the literal interpretation. This actually happened. There was a guy named Hosea who married a prostitute named Gomer. And they had kids named Jezreel and No Mercy and Not My People. These things actually happened. It's more than just fiction. It's not fiction. It's reality. It's nonfiction. It's history. And that has a massive impact on what we do. Now, redemptive, because we believe this, that the Bible is really a one book with one story. And the story is we have a God who saves, and he saves through Jesus Christ. And so whenever we interpret scripture, we need to take that redemptive lens as well. So all those things are important. And especially today, I want you to see the fact that this is a literal translation. You see, if you were to say, well, this is all allegory. Adam and Eve didn't really exist. It was just an allegory and, and, and just for, for someone to teach us these lessons. Well, that becomes problematic. Because Jesus believed there was an Adam and there was an Eve. And Jesus referred to an Adam and an Eve. And so if they weren't literal, then Jesus was mistaken. So you get all kinds of problems when you dive into the allegorical approach. And we believe, again, literally these things occurred. So what occurred? Well, look at your Bible again. Take a look at verse number 2 of Hosea chapter 1. Hosea is a prophet of God. Check that. He is God's prophet, okay? And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, that's what the word through means, he is God's prophet, the Lord said to Hosea, go to take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And I will have no mercy on Judah, for I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. 
When she weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I'm not your God. And you see this in the text and you think, is that real? And yeah, it's real. These things occurred just as it's sitting there. And that's crazy. I mean, this is God's prophet? And who's he married to? He's married to a prostitute. Could you imagine in our day, like a pastor marrying a prostitute? And you'd come in on a Sunday morning to worship, and there's the pastor in the front row, and he's got his arm around his prostitute wife, and you'd be like, what the heck? What are you doing, pastor? That's crazy. Then maybe you'd go to his office to visit him, and he wasn't there, and you're like, where's, where's pastor this morning? And you run into him on the streets of Fort Wayne, and he's despondent, and he's frustrated, and he's crying. Pastor, where were you? I went to your office, and you weren't there. Well, yeah, I was out looking for my prostitute wife. She left me last night for another man. And, and wouldn't, you, wouldn't you be like, leave her then, you know? Like, get out of there. And, and why are you married to her? You're a man of God. Why did you choose her as your bride? Well, Hosea would have to say, I did, because God told me to. God told me to do that. And it gets really complicated because they have kids. <laughs> and did you check the names of the kids out? I mean, they're crazy. Jezreel is a whole meaning behind Jezreel. And the one thing we do know about Jezreel for sure, if you take a look at this in uh, verse number three, so he went out and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So we know for sure that Jezreel is Hosea's, that, that's for sure. But, but take a look at the other children. Take a look at verse number six. She conceived again and bore a daughter. Well, who was the dad? See, we don't know. The text doesn't say. This is a woman, a prostitute, a sex worker who is going out again and again and again after men, multiple men. Could have been Hosea's daughter, but it might not have been. And then, what was her name? They called her No Mercy. Like that was her name. The same thing is true of uh, the second uh, son born, the third child. And when she had weaned, verse number eight, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Again, we don't know who. It doesn't say who. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people. I mean, that was the kids' names. Could you imagine? Not my people. Put that down. Come on. What are you doing? No, mer- no mercy. Listen, keep showing that attitude, and I'm going to show you no mercy. I mean, this is what they lived. This was the life these people actually lived. This actually happened. Now, why would why would God do that to somebody? Why would God do that to Hosea? Why would God do that to the kids? He would do that because he really, really wants us to know something. He really, really wants to communicate something so much that he completely upended this prophet's life and their kid's life to communicate a message. What was that message? Well, I'll go back to verse number two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. God wants the people of Israel to know this is them. And and what part of the story were they? They were Gomer. They were the whore. Okay, well, thank goodness that's Israel and not us, right? 
I mean, come on, can I get a witness? Thank goodness, that's them, but does it really apply to you and I today? Or does it? Look at 1 Corinthians 10 for a second. Paul's pretty clear about how we should be interpreting the Old Testament. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed from them. And the rock was Christ. There's a whole sermon right there. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, and here's verse number six. Now, check this out. Look at verse number six. Let your eyes fall on it. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, that people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He goes on to say this in verse number 11 of chapter 10. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed, lest uh, he fall. Now, that's very, very clear. What Paul is trying to say is that the stuff we read in the Old Testament, it's for us. And there's a warning here. To be careful, to take heed, lest we fall. And if it's for anybody, isn't this for the church, like for sure for the church? That's what God's word has to say about the church. It's the Second Corinthians 11. Check this out now. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Look at this. Since I betrothed you to, what's your Bible say there, church? To one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. In fact, we see this in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exalt, give him the glory for the marriage supper of the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these things are true words of God. This is coming a day when we're going to be for the Lord as his bride and the church is the bride of Christ. So you want to talk about being a part of a love story for sure. The church is the bride in Jesus is our husband, our groom. And so, yeah, we better take heed what this has to say. And this very difficult story here is for us. And so then, church, what does that make us? When you look at the text, you consider Hosea. Who are we in that story? We're the prostitute. We're the whore. Now, there's some really good news coming, but here's what I want you to know this morning. There's some truths that God wants you to know. There's some things that he really wants you to know. We haven't gotten to the main message yet. That's coming, but I want to say to you, God is trying to tell you something. And he really, really wants his people to get it. And so he completely upends Hosea's life to communicate it. Sometimes people go through some pretty 
great lengths to communicate important things. I grabbed this from the internet here, several different wedding proposals. And there's some, there's some cool ideas here. Like this, this one couple here, uh, they're, they're runners. And so they use one of those GPS apps and they went running together and, and she was following him along as he ran. And they got to the end of it and he was like, huh. it was, I would be like that, right? <laughs> Check this out. Look at what we ran. And so they looked at it and said, marry me. And, uh, now, they never tell you the end of the story. Maybe she said yes, maybe she didn't. But at least he really went through to communicate that. Another guy had a telescope, and he got this cool little Mary, will you marry me lens, and he put it on there. And, hey, babe, come look at the moon. She looked at the moon. It looked like he wrote on the moon, will you marry me? Isn't that awesome? Is it great? I'm kind of regretting the way I asked Courtney to marry me. I really, I really didn't step up to the plate enough. Or, or this guy had a trained dolphin come up and carry a marry me buoy in his mouth. I mean, these guys really wanted these women to know, I love you. I want to marry you. I want you to be my bride. And they went through extremes to communicate. And God really wants you to get this. So what does he want us to get? What's the message he wants to communicate? Well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I want to just kind of take some time and look at this book. We're kind of going to do an overview today and try to get our heads and our hearts around, okay, what is it that we're going to be seeing in this book? So kind of a summary today. And then what we're going to do is each of these three points I'm going to share with you right now will be the sermon series as we walk through the book of Hosea together. So let's take a look at the message communicates. We know the means of communication. God went through extremes to communicate this message by naming these kids what I named them and all that that went on. But now there's a message he wants us to know. There's something he wants us to learn. So what is that? Well, here's the first thing. And I think I want you to write this down. Our sin is much worse than we understand. Our sin is much worse than we understand. Is it hard for you to hear your pastor stand in a pulpit and say the word horror from the pulpit. It probably is. I can tell you that it's hard to say it. I'm one of those pastors who kind of thinks you should have some decorum when you're behind the pulpit. I'm not into the whole using foul language and graphics and all of that. Like, I don't get into that. I I, I think that... Um, Titus says that a pastor should be dignified when he's in the pulpit. So there's some biblical, I think, boundaries to that. Um, um, But the reason why I'm using that word is because that's the word that God chose to use to describe his people when they turn away from him and they chase after other things. The word that God chose to use was the word whore, painting us as prostitutes. And that's, that's, that's tough. And there's a lot of language like that in this book that just is, is just tough. Take a look at verse number 10 of chapter 2. Actually, go to chapter 2. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. Look at this. This is Hosea 2, verse number 1. Say to your brothers, you are not my people. And to your sisters, you have received uh, so you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. So here's verse number two. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, uh, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day uh, she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. I mean, that's, that's tough language. There's more. In fact, I want you to take a look at verse number 10 of chapter 2. Verse number 10. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. That's 
Not pretty either. Well, check this out. Go to chapter 13, if you would. Chapter 13, and take a look at verse number 4. I'm going to read several verses here. But he said, I am your God. I am the Lord your God from the, from the land of Egypt. Uh, you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. This is a, a 13 verse 5 now, 13 5. <clears throat> it was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when you had grazed, so when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Now check this out in verse number 7. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall on them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their breasts, and I will devour them like a lion, and a wild beast would rip them open. And that's, that's harsh language. That is a very grotesque scene that was just painted for us. And why would God feel that anger and that passion and that judgment? Well, he really, really, really hates our sin. It's not me using this kind of language. I'm just, I'm just reading from the word of God this morning and sharing with you what the Bible has to say. And these are the pictures painted by God about us and about our sin. And, and it is for us. Because Paul said, take heed lest we fall. And man, we live in a culture that downplays the sin and upplays how awesome and wonderful we are. I mean, come on, you know that's true. You've seen it on social media. You see it in your life. You hear it all the time, how, how much self-esteem you need and how much you need to believe in yourself and how strong you are and how you can just do anything. And I'm telling you, our culture is buying it lock, stock, and barrel, man. We eat that up. And so to hear phrases like this and to really get a sense of what God, we just don't think about it right. We just don't. None of us do. And we all have a tendency to downplay our own sin and to excuse it and to call it something else. Dane Orland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, quotes Martin Lloyd-Jones when Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. Now, pause for a moment. If you don't think that's true, what did you do the last time your spouse pointed something out to, to you? And I see, the, I see the guilt from the few of you that are here. I can see. That's true, right? I mean, I'm, I'm this way. You know, like, hey, Jamie, how about, I mean, no, 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 come on. That's, you know, that's, you're thinking about that wrongly. You're not saying that. We just want to push it off. And, but we are in, on very good terms with ourselves. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never truly do it. Dane Orland goes on to say this in his book. He says, in other words, we don't feel the weight of sin because of, well, our sin. <laughs> if we saw with deeper clarity just how insidious and pervasive and revolting sin is, we would know that human evil calls for an intensity of judgment of divine proportion. And we don't want to own that. and We don't want to believe that's us. Paul Tripp calls it our inner lawyer. He 
stand up and we defend ourselves. Not really, Pastor, is that? I mean, do you really think that's true of our church? Well, hey, try this out for a minute. Um, do this. Uh, if you have some paper handy, and if you got some paper nearby, if you do, great. At home, you can go grab some paper and make this little chart here. Uh, we're going to just do this. We're going to go pretty bad, bad, really bad. We're thinking about, you know, like sins. And if you really want to make this personal, think about your sin. And as you think about some things that you struggle with, could you maybe like put it in the right category here? Pretty bad, bad, really bad. And like, how would you kind of categorize sin? So uh, let's just take, we'll kind of do this as a classroom this morning. Uh, gluttony. Where should we put gluttony? Where, where does gluttony belong? Probably in the, the pretty bad category. Because I mean, let's be honest, we all kind of, you know, step into gluttony a little bit and all that. Um, I'm going to come back to speeding in, in a minute. Speeding is illegal. Okay. All right. Yes. So, but, but it's not really, for sure, that's not really bad. For sure, not really bad. Probably just kind of pretty bad. Lust. We'll put lust in kind of the bad category. Worry and fear, maybe in the bad category. I mean, the really bad stuff, that's, that's preserved for like murderers and adulterers and, 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 and adulterers. Because do you know that over the whole thing, we could write the word adultery? Here's here's the problem. The reason why we don't see our sin with the accuracy that we should see our sin is because we don't think of our sin in relational terms. Because look, I look at a speed limit sign like this, and, and it's black, it's white, it's cold, it's not a person. So if I'm going 35 40, I don't know what you do, uh, and I'm looking at that sign. I don't feel so bad about it because it's just the law, and the law is cold. It's just a piece of paper, and, and you know, so, so it's not. But when you think about how sin really should be viewed, it's in a relational sense. And when we sin, just in church, what we do when we sin is we turn away from the love and the comfort and the security of our God and we say, you know what? I'd rather have this. I don't really believe that you're going to keep me secure. So I'm going to have worry and fear, or I'm going to try to get it myself and do my own thing, and I'm going to step away from what your word says because I really don't trust that you're going to comfort me and keep me secure enough. I really don't feel that there's true pleasure here. I mean, there's some, but the real pleasure is over here. And I'm going to do this instead. And what we're doing is we're leaving the God who really loves us, really cares for us, and pursuing something that's not him. It's another lover. And in that sense, do you see it? We're whores. We're prostitutes. We're selling ourselves to something else. It's relational, and that's what makes it so bad. Seeing our sin in terms of relation. So one of the things that we need to dive into and need to remind you of is our sin is much, much worse than we really understand it is. And the response that I have, what I want you to have, is just to silence the inner lawyer, just to shut him up. not excuse 
but to own it. Because this is true. I don't think, but I know, the primary message in the book of Hosea doesn't end there. The primary message is this message. Yes, our sin is much worse than we understand, but our God is much more loving than we can imagine. Our God is much, much more loving than we can imagine. I'm serious about this, church. I really feel very, very passionately that we don't see this as deep as we should see this on an everyday, ongoing basis. I really firmly believe in my heart that we don't live life in the full understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ and what it should mean and how very much he loves you. And as we study this book, man, I'm hoping what becomes crystal clear that the spirit of God awakens in your heart so that tomorrow, what's tomorrow, Monday? Then we got a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Like you leave here, you leave your home after hearing this message and you walk out saying, I need to live life more love than I do. Because God's love is mind-blowing. It's incredible. It's so hard to fathom. And I've been preaching this stuff for years. And I feel this week God gave me a new perspective on how much he loves me and how ridiculous that love is. Let me show you this in the text. I want you to see it for yourselves. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, we have this uh, ongoing uh, um, kind of story, and and then then we get down to we'll, we'll start in verse number eight. So I want you to see, even in chapter one, there's mercy to be found. So here's Hosea, uh, chapter one, verse eight, where it says, "In which she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, I'm not your God. But now look at this verse number ten. Yet, underline the word yet, circle the word yet. God says this: Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. This is, here's, 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 if you consider the, just again, studying the Bible is so much fun. There's so many depths here. I want you to see this depths. Uh, whose son was no mercy? Or whose daughter was no mercy? And whose son was not my people? See, we don't know whose children they were. We know that, that Gomer was the mother, but we don't know who the father is. It doesn't say. But God looks at his people and he says, there's not going to be a question that you're going to be the children of Israel. You're going to be my kids. And no one's going to question that. So right away, even in chapter 1, God begins to give us hints at his mercy. But, but, but there's more than that. I, I want you to take a look at chapter 2, verse number 14. Chapter 2, verse number 14. And uh, I'm going to unpack a few things with you. We're going to dive, of course, much more deeper into this. But then you have this mercy that you see in verse number 14 of chapter 2. Therefore, he says, behold, I will allure her. Who is he going to allure? The prostitutes. The sex worker. The unfaithful adulteress. And what does God do? I'm going to allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak, church, look at it, and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Pause there for a minute. That's packed with meaning. Valley of Achor is the first place that Israel stumbles once they enter the promised land. 
So, right, they get to the promised land, and then we have the story of Achan that keeps some of the treasure for himself, even though he's told not to, and he does. And God comes, and there's judgment there. Where did that happen? Can you guess? It happened in the valley of Achor. And God says, I'm going to make that place a door of hope for you. Listen, church, I'm going to take the places of shame for you, and the places of shame for you are going to become places of hope. Why? Because he's going to come, he's going to allure us, he's going to rescue us, even when we deserve to be shamed. Our God is there to rescue us and to love us again. It's incredible, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful text. God takes the places of our shame and makes them places of hope. But I also want you to see this in the text, and this is, this is awesome. Let's keep reading here in chapter 2 and... Um, 14 through 16, we're still kind of in that text. And look at verse 16 now. Check this out. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my Baal. Now, this is packed, packed with meaning. Okay? So God says, you're going to call me when I lure you. Well, here's, here's what I want to be to you. Here's what I want to be to you. I want you to say, my husband. And not my Baal. Here's what's interesting. The word Baal is very often translated husband. The word meant husband. So in one sense, you could say, he said, you're not going to call me my husband, but you're going to call me, or you're going to call me my husband and not my husband. But, but they're different kinds of husbands. So I want you to think back to the Mount uh, uh, Carmel with uh, Elijah and Mount Carmel. Remember, they were the prophets of Baal that were there. And when they wanted to get Baal's attention... And they wanted to motivate Baal to show up for them. What did they have to do to get Baal's attention? What did they have to do to make Baal come and show up and love them and be their God? Well, they had to cut themselves and they had to throw themselves down and they had to harm themselves and, and work and, and bleed literally to try to earn the love of Baal. And God says, that's not me. Church, listen. That's not me. I'm not the God that makes you harm yourself and throw yourself down to earn my love. I'm not the God that makes you earn my love. That's not who I am. No, I'm your husband, and I just love you. It's an incredibly powerful and incredibly beautiful picture of who our God is. He loves us. In fact, one more text, if you can bear with me. Go over to chapter 11. Just kind of doing an overview. We're going to dive deeper into these things in the weeks to come. But take a look at chapter 11. And I want you to see God's heart in verse number 8 of chapter 11. Hosea 11, verse number 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? I mean, when, right, think about a guy, a friend of yours who was married to a prostitute and you kept sleeping. You would say to him, bro, you have some biblical ground to leave her. You know that? You could leave this chick if you wanted to. And why wouldn't you? And wouldn't, wouldn't that be the prevailing message in our culture today? They're toxic. Get rid of them. They're toxic. They're not helpful to you. Cut them off. Leave them. Get rid of them. Live your life. Find someone who affirms you and loves you and... And, and God hears all of that in one sense and says in verse number eight, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma, 
How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My passion grows warm. My compassion grows warm and tender. This is our God. But I wonder if you walk around that way, believing that's really, really true of you. I wonder if that's how you lived this past week. Honestly believing God loves you like that. That, listen to me now, that God sees every sin you do, every sinful thought, every wicked desire, realized or not, God sees it all. And do you believe that God looks at you and says, how could I give you up? My heart is stirred for you. I think if we were to write, this is incredible now, if we were to write the book of Hosea, how, how, would, how would you write it? Like, what would the ending be? If this were a Hallmark movie, for sure, like, she's from New York and he's from the small town, for sure that's true. Uh, but in addition to that, like, in the snowing and the beautiful lights, all of that, how it would end if we were to write that beautiful Hallmark story is at the end, Gomer comes back and she cleans herself up and she gets herself all fixed, and it ends with them living, come on church, happily ever after. And that's the way we would write the story. Because that's what a true love story is. A true love story is when she loves him, and he loves her, and they love each other forever. Now, here's how the book is written. Uh, we leave Hosea and Gomer after chapter 3. So chapter 3 is the last of that story. And then it goes on to talk about how Israel and God relate to one another. So what you have to do is let your eyes fall on chapter 3. And this is how Hosea ends. This is how the story ends. And this is awesome. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea now writing, the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. <laughs> That's, by the way, very condemning, right? This is what you prefer over God, a cake with raisins. I mean, at least it would have been like chocolate chips, right? But it's not even that. It's raisins. And God says, you, 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 even though, even though, even though I still love you. Did you get it? The ending of the book of, or the, or the story of Hosea and Gomer, how that story ends is not that Hosea or Gomer got all cleaned up and came back. The story is Hosea just loved her anyway. And he goes out again and he finds her again and he loves her again. The ending of the story is even though you didn't clean yourself up. I still love you. We don't, listen, church, we don't live this way. You don't do the Christian life that way, I'll guarantee it. Here, let me, let me do a little bit of investigation into your accountability. You guys got accountability partners? Come on, you're here. You got an accountability partner? Raise your hand if you got an accountability partner. Okay, great. And how do you do accountability? You do accountability. Come here, Michael. You're here. You can do this with me. <clears throat> if Michael and I were meeting for accountability, normally we would do things like this. How you doing? 
Michael's on the worship team, so he's with us this morning. Bro, how, how, how was your week? You don't have to answer. I don't want to put you on the spot here. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be like, hey, how did, did you get into your Bible? Did, did you pray? Are you careful with your eyes? Did you, did you watch everything? Okay, all right. Oh, okay, so you had some slip-ups. Maybe you got mad at Jessica a little bit and said some things. And maybe you, you have a cat? No. Praise Jesus. Smart man. All right, no dog either. Okay, all right, so maybe you kicked the neighbor's dog. Maybe that was what happened. Um, cats are fine to kick, dogs never. But anyway, maybe that happened. And so, but, and, and the whole thing is what we'll do is we'll come back and we'll say, okay, next week, man, more devotions. Next week, more of this. Next week, more of that. And, and, and thank you for coming up here. I'll let you go. So what, what, hold on. Actually, don't, don't. Come here. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and because the hope is, the hope is maybe this week you'll perform better. And the whole goal is, I'm going to help you perform a little bit better. And, and tell me that's not how we do accountability. We do. That's how we do it. I was coming away from a small group this week, and I'm like, we do this wrong. Because here's what, here's what it should be. Okay, yeah, you're screwed up this week probably in some way. you probably screw up again next week. But, man, do you know how much Jesus loves you still? And can you just run to him and be loved by him even though you're wretched? Like, just go to him and fall on your face and just love him. How are you loving Jesus? How are you by going back? I mean, how are you doing that? That's the questions we should ask. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate that. That's how we should do accountability. All right. I'm, I'm over my time, and I don't even care. Okay, that's where I'm at this morning. Because I want one more thing to show you, and then we'll be done. Um, here it is. Take a look at this. So the things I want you to see in the text, I want you to see... Our sin is much worse than we can understand. Our God is much more loving than we can imagine. And then this, our response is to come back to Jesus again and again and again. And I just want your eyeballs to fall on chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse number 1. If you were to glance at 14, you would see very similar language there. Uh, this is Hebrew writing. It's very cyclical. So they just kind of repeat themes over and over in a cycle. And so you see that. And one of the cycles kind of ends here. And, and God gives the response that he wants from his people in Hosea 6, one. Uh, and I want you to read this along with me if you have it in front of you. This is Hosea 6.1. Read verse 1 together. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. I'm going to keep reading. You follow. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. He, on the third day, he will raise us up and we will live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What a beautiful verse. But this is what God wants you to do. Come, let us return to the Lord. Now, now look. He's done everything. He's done all the pursuing. He's done all the chasing. He, we know the end of the story really is Jesus. Because Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus paid for the sin of Israel, Jesus paid for our whoredom, Jesus paid for it all. It's cared for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And everything has been done, and he is a husband waiting for his wife, his bride, just to come back to him. And what we need to do is return to the Lord, to go back to the Lord. And when we do the promises here, he's going to show up, man, as sure as the rains come in the springtime, like a deluge of water from the sky. That's how God is going to show up. And we have this promise, and what we need to do is just to return, just to come back again. And over and over again, and over and over again, you find yourself sinning, 
don't, don't, if you got, if you got the view of God, like so many of legalistic Christianity kind of portrays him to be more like a Baal than like a husband, more like a God whose love I have to earn than a God who pursues and loves me. If that's the way you view God, why would you go back to that God? Why would you run back to him? You wouldn't. But if your view of God is who he really is, a loving, tender, he speaks tenderly to us. He just wants to hold us. He just wants to love us. He just wants to be our God if you would only come and only return. And I don't know where you are this morning, here in this room, on the homes that are watching. I don't know where you are. Here's what you can do. You can own your sin. You can trust in his love. It's, it's more than you can even imagine it is. And you can just return to the Lord, come back to the Lord. Right now, you can do that. And then later, when you whore yourself out again to whatever heart desire moves you and draws you in later, you can leave that garbage and you can come back to the Lord again and again. And your hope you're going to set yourself on is not that one day you're going to stop leaving. And we want to grow. We don't want to leave. But your hope is that even when I do, he loves me still. And I'm telling you, you live in that and you're not going to want to leave him. That's who our God is. Church, we don't see it rightly. We don't live it rightly. And I hope this study in Hosea will help you to see it and to really live it. So I'm going to pray to that end right now. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your goodness in this beautiful, beautiful story and this beautiful, beautiful book. Thank you for showing us a new, deeper glimpse of Jesus. I want that more than anything for my people. I want them to see Jesus in a new and beautiful and magnificent way to be drawn in, to be loved by him in new ways. God, so help us with that. Thank you so much that you put this book here. Thank you so much that we can learn from it and change us because of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Redemption, you are loved.